How you doing, Rock Family? Pastor Miles here. We are going to have a very, very special Good Friday service. Happy Good Friday. Happy Easter coming up in a couple of days. But we're outside, as you can see, in the wilderness. We hear owls, coyotes, and some other stuff that we don't know what it is. <laughs> and so it's exciting to be out here. But we're going to have a special conversation about um, Good Friday, the night Jesus was crucified, the Last Supper, and all the way through the eight stages of the cross. So what I'm going to do is we're all going to read a passage, but uh, we're going to go one at a time, and then we're going to have a conversation. And I want to encourage you to engage in this conversation. Uh, get your Bibles out, read along with us, and uh, be thinking in your hearts what you would say, how you would reflect on the truths that we're going to discuss today. And then we're going to have communion. I will obviously give you a chance to accept Christ as your Savior, and then we're going to have communion. And so uh, before I start, let me pray. And I uh, pray you stay engaged with us, stay with us, and um, it's going to be a special night. Lord, thank you so much for your faithfulness. Thank you so much for our church here in San Diego and California and all around the world, all the people watching as part of our family from around the world. We pray you bless them, encourage them. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to start by reading, reading uh, Matthew chapter 26, and then we have eight of our pastors and leaders from the church here who are going to we're going to discuss this. But let me read this. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve, and while they were eating, he said, "Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me." They were very sad and began to say to him one after another. Surely you don't mean me, Lord. Jesus replied, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely you don't mean me. Rabbi Jesus answered, You have said so. While they were eating, Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it, gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I would not drink from this fruit of the vine from now until the day when I drink it with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives, and then Jesus told them, this very night you will fall away on my account. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, after I have risen, I'm getting up. You can knock me down, but I'm getting up. After I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I will never. Truly, I tell you, Jesus said, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Ouch. <laughs> How many of y'all ever disowned God? Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. You know, when I was, I was reading this, and every time I read this, I get something new. Um, but what I was thinking about this time was the physical pain that Jesus would endure mm. right after this night, up this <clears throat> night and beyond was incredible. I mean, he was going to be whipped 39 times. He was going to have nails uh, driven through his hands and feet, uh, thorns in his head, beat, spit on, etc. 
And the physical pain was obvious, and obviously it was to the point where they killed him. But what about the emotional stress? Because here he is. He knows what's getting ready to happen. And he even tells one of his disciples, you're going to betray me, a guy who he invested in for three years. He tells another disciple, you're going to deny me three times, a guy he invested in for three years. For three years, he performed miracles. He loved people. He encouraged people. He healed people. He rose people from the dead. They followed them all around. He fed them supernaturally. He gave them hope they never had, and they turned on him. The whole world turned on him. But he still loved his disciples. He washed their feet. He sung with them. He had food with them. And as he carried all that. And the reason he could do that, because he had emptied himself of everything in the world. So let's just spend a minute, a couple of minutes, and talk about one way you can empty, one thing you have to empty yourself, where you can just be, I don't want to say not care, but you can have everybody reject you and still be okay. Anybody got any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think about the humility that it would have taken to walk that out, um, knowing that those things are going to happen. Uh, we have to empty ourselves of any pride that sets ourselves up. If Christ can do that and he's our example, we have to walk in the, the power of the Spirit to say, I can live in a way that pleases God and be humble, um, taking on offense and putting that at the foot of the cross. We see obedience without compromise at all. So if I knew exactly what was going to happen, I would have been like, hey, I'm going to take a little corner right here and just turn left to avoid this immense pain but in this process, Jesus did not cut any corners. He walked the whole thing through. I don't think I would have been able to do that. And he walked it through physically, but also emotionally, that he would be loving mm -hmm. to the very people that he was doing it for. Yeah, yeah. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away when I drink it, may your will be done. And when he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. And then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. You know, as I... As I read this, I was, I was really thinking about the setting. Um, and he's in this garden which represents life, right? And beauty and good things. And here he is. 
And he shows us he's 100% God and he's 100% man. And he's so revealing his humanity to us. And there's this life in the garden. And here he comes. He knows he's going to be betrayed. His boys couldn't show up for him or wouldn't show up for him emotionally, like you said, Pastor. And, and he's sitting there and, and we see this humanity in him. And it makes me think of my own life in my humanity. And here he is. He knows it's, it's his death is imminent. And, but on the other side of that death, that he, he gives his, his life for us, that death, there is, there will be life. And I think about the times for me personally, as I go through life and the things I've had to die to myself, I know that there's gonna be life on the other side. And it's a lonely road. And he, sh- he, he went back to them, come on, come on guys. And there was this loneliness for him. And I just, I sit there and I go, yeah, God, me too. There's a loneliness in dying to ourselves, but we know that on the other side of that death, of that, those things that have to die in us, there is abundant life. And it just struck me as I read this, that that is, that is the humanity um, and the beautiful picture of Jesus that we see. I love the humanity example and just description and it, it reminded me of, of Christmas and here we are you know Easter but Christmas we see Emmanuel God with us but in the garden that was Emmanuel it was, it was the humanity of, of, of God you see and I love that we have a God that's so big but he's not too big that we can't touch him and reach him and feel him and, and have his presence with us and just such a vulnerable uh, image of, of, of our Lord so good yeah I, I love how the Bible begins and we see humanity in the garden failing, you know, as Adam and Eve sin, and you see Jesus in the garden, the second Adam rising to the occasion. And he said, where the first man failed, I will step in. It's such a powerful picture of Jesus stepping in our place, doing what we could never do. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of his 12, arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one that I kiss, that's the man, arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, Do what you came to do, friend. Then the men stepped forward and seized Jesus and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached for, for a sword and drew it and, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Put that thing away and put it in its place, Jesus said to him. For the one who draws the sword will die by the sword. Do you not think that I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? That's a lot of angels. But, but how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it's going to happen like this? And in that, Jesus said to the crowd, I am, am I leading a rebellion that you've come to me with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I sat in the temple courts teaching, and you could have arrested me there. But this all has taken place and the, so that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all of the disciples deserted him, and they fled. And that's found in Matthew 26. 
I, I, I studied a little bit about Judas as I, I've read this story so many times, but the name Judas in Greek actually means praised or praise. How many of us know someone named Judas? Nobody. I mean, nobody's trying to name their, their son <laughs> Judas, and it means the exact opposite because from that point on, it was actually a common name, Judas. Actually, Jesus, one of Jesus' half-brothers was named Judas. But from that point on, it became someone who literally brought his, this lamb to the, to the slaughterhouse to, to be slaughtered. Uh, and, and this word that, the word here that he kissed him, which is crazy. We were looking at this word. He grabbed him and he kissed him so that they would know which one. Jesus was dark like it is out here. and They didn't want to get the wrong guy. It's the same word that scripture uses when Jesus actually taught the story of a father and a son who left him. And finally came home and it said he ran to his son and smothered him with kisses the same word so mm -hmm. he didn't just grab jesus and kiss him on the cheek he smothered his face with kisses wow it's almost mockery mm -hmm. wow. I, sometimes i i have to look at that this account and say I, I, have i ever done that to jesus yes i have mm -hmm. uh, and then the other character in this scripture i've acted like as well as peter the one who grabbed a sword he didn't actually know how to use a sword jesus told him Hey, one day you're going to be persecuted, so make sure you have swords. And Peter goes, I got one. And then he waited. He literally waited till they were taking him away, and he got enough courage, and he cut. Now, the swords were, were, were used to cut someone's neck, cut their throat, but he was not skilled, so he missed and cut the ear off. Like, what? I mean, I've done that. You know what I mean? Like, and Jesus just like, put it away. What are you doing? Uh, I just, I, I, I love that, that we get this firsthand account of these different characters in the story. Uh, I've been... I've acted like Judas, and I've acted like Peter. I mean, have, have, have any of you acted like any of the, those characters in the story? Too many times. <laughs> I went to a Christian private school from uh, kindergarten all the way through sixth grade, and I transferred to a public school when I got to seventh grade. And so when I got to seventh grade, I had two things in mind. I didn't want to lose any street cred coming from a private school. Like, okay, like, you're from a private school. Like, what are you really going to say? And I didn't want to be the one that was the religious kid. And so I tried my best to always show that I was hard, that I was down. And there were some people that knew that I went to private school and like, hey, didn't you go to that one school? Nah, I don't know anything about that. Don't you go to that church on Sunday? Nah, I actually sleep in. But yeah, I, I made a conscious effort as a child that knowing that I was connected to Jesus was actually gonna make me look unpopular. Yeah. And no one had to teach me that. That was in my heart that I wanted to be like, I don't want to be associated with him. Now I'm like, yo, I'm all about this life. <laughs> but back then I was like, no, 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 no. If I publicly like say that I'm about Christ, I'm not gonna have any friends and I'm not gonna be accepted. And when I think about it now, I'm like, geez, people who see me now like, aren't you the one that said that you were here and now you were a pastor at this church? It's crazy. And this is a question for all of y'all out there because people are watching you. Uh, if you say you go to a church, you say you're a Christian, people are watching you, and, and there are people who don't know anything about you, but they may suspect some light in you and think, I wonder if that's a Christian, and then you say one thing and they go, ah, oh, no, my bad, maybe they're not. And I would challenge you to think about one instance when you were Judas and how that broke God's heart. And what did you get from it? Nothing. Um, and and it, it may be a habit that you have of doing something that is just not Christ-like. Welcome to the club. But just be honest with yourself. <laughs> Can I amen? amen? Be honest with yourself and, and, and surrender it. Empty yourself of it and, and God can uh, he can do that in your life because I'm sure there's things you used to do that you don't do anymore. Mm -hmm. well, just 
do pick one more thing and eliminate it from your life. Those who had arrested Jesus took him to Caiaphas for the high priest, where the teachers of the law and the elders had assembled. But Peter followed him at a distance, right up to the courtyard of the high priest. He entered and sat down with the guards to see the outcome. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were there looking for false evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death. But they did not find any, though many false witnesses came forward. Finally, two came forward and declared, this fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. Then the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent. The high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Messiah, the son of God. You have said so, Jesus replied. But I say to all of you, from now on, you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of the mighty one and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, he has spoken blasphemy. Why do we need any more witnesses? Look, now you have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? He is worthy of death, they answered. Then they spit in his face and struck him with their fists. Others slapped him and said, prophesy to us, Messiah, who hit you? I've been walking with Jesus for the last seven or eight years. And every single year that passes by, I cannot fathom how any person can live a life that Jesus lived or die a death that he did. I can't, I can't think of it. I couldn't do it. I personally cannot do it. And every single time I try to put myself in his shoes, I think to myself, what would I be thinking if I know that people are taking the time to falsely accuse me, trying to figure out ways to give me a false witness, and yet they found nothing and still found him guilty? And as I think about this passage, I'm like, man, what an unjust trial. They literally put him on trial in my mind for love because what did Jesus do? All he did was display his love for all the world to see. And for that thing alone, people hated him. In any common trial, usually there's evidence that's being given, a person gets an opportunity to rebuttal, and that's it. Jesus did not get that. He had an unfair trial, guys. He had an unfair trial. And in my mind, I kept thinking to myself, if I were in that position, I would have been pretty upset. I probably would have walked away. But in that moment, he just stayed there and took it, didn't even defend himself. He just said, you said it. Imagine if you were in that position. I can think of times in my life where I feel like I was unjustly accused of something. And the Lord said, be quiet and allow me to be your defender. And you know, so much you want to justify yourself, like that's not what I said, or I wasn't a part of that or whatever. But times where the Lord's like, trust in me and follow my plan and align with me because I am your defender and just hold your tongue and let me go before you. And I couldn't imagine being in Jesus' Jesus's spot, but I can think and resonate with the moments that too, I just had to sit with the Father and not act out in my flesh and respond with anger and try to justify 
but to just be quiet and align with the Father and allow Him to go before me. It's like almost unbelievable that you could have, you could know, well, He knew it was coming. He was in the middle of it and He was like, my Father, you've, He's got it. He was fighting a different battle. When he we was. get betrayed, we, can, we want to be right over the person. Right. Yeah. Jesus was saying, I'm having victory over the devil. Come it's on. good. Yeah. 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 So it doesn't matter what you do. And the mm -hmm. devil was saying, watch me disqualify him. Watch mm -hmm. me disqualify yeah. him. Yeah. He was like, nope, not nope. today. Um, as you think about that, and as you think about the people who betrayed you, and think about something angst you have towards somebody now, and while we worship, I want you to let it go. Just let it go. And declare the goodness of God while we sing this song. Because whenever you worship, you are declaring truths about God. So get your mind and your heart focused on that and not on the anger you have towards somebody. Let's worship. Now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said, but he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gateway where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I do not know the man. After a while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, surely you are one of them. Your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses and swore to them. I don't know the man. Immediately, a rooster crowed. Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Oh, so many times I've read this specific scripture and I, I immediately think, oh, poor Peter, poor Peter, <laughs> right? Like, gosh, poor Peter. And as I was sitting with this scripture this week, I began to think to myself, oh my gosh, how many times has the Lord foretold something to me, given me a heads up on something, as Jesus already spoke to Peter and told him about the crucifixion. He already told him that he would be arrested. He already told him that he would deny Jesus. And Peter was like, no, no. I, he didn't want to hear what Jesus had said. He didn't want to come in alignment with the will of the Father as Jesus was. And in that, he found himself failing his his Jesus, and how many times have I done the same exact thing as P Peter, or the Lord told me something and I failed to fall in line with what the Lord was directing me or what he, a path that he was leading me. And in that failure, I just lost sight of the Lord and what he had and just began to, to fall in the wrong direction. And like Peter, maybe I wasn't, specifically denying the Lord, but I wasn't coming into the will of the Father and in that sitting in the same place of failure as Peter. So uh, instead of saying poor Peter this time, I was like, poor Cindy, you've done it so many times, so many times. But I don't know if that resonates with any of you And in a moment where you too found yourself just sitting in that place, just weeping and just like, oh, yes, Lord. Yes, I, I failed, I failed kind of a funny story about um, hearing the Lord tell me to do something and I was like, no, nah, I'm good right now. 
and um, he got me good. Um, I was on a plane with a stranger, of course, and of course I hear this one over here saying, oh, it's the perfect time to talk to people and witness to them. And I'm like, no, I want to look out the window right now. And the Lord kept telling me, pray for that girl next to you. She needs, it. She needs prayer. And I was like, nope, I'm good. Well, 20 minutes before we landed, she puts her hand on my leg and she goes, the Lord told me to pray for you. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh. Oh man, I was so embarrassed. And, and just, you know, like, oh my gosh. It was clear, it was clear that the Holy Spirit was telling me to pray for her and I just, I just didn't want to. I just wanted my little peaceful corner of the airplane. And um, to this day, that girl and I are friends and she prayed for me and we cried and held hands. and. It was a beautiful moment, you know, of course he always redeems us, but I, I've learned to listen a little better now. <laughs> it says at daybreak the council of the elders of the people, both the chief priest and the teachers of the law, met together and Jesus was led before them. If you are the Messiah, they said, tell us. Jesus answered, if I tell you, you will not believe me, and if I asked you, you would not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the mighty God. They all asked, Are you then the Son of God? He replied, You say that I am. Then they said, Why do we need any more testimony? We have heard it from his own lips. Then the whole assembly rose and led him off to Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We have found this man subverting our nation. He opposes payment of taxes to Caesar and claims to be Messiah, a king. So Pilate asked Jesus, Are you king of the Jews? You said so, Jesus replied. Then Pilate announced to the chief priest and the crowd, I find no basis for a charge against this man. But they insisted, he stirs up the people all over Judea by his teaching. He started in Galilee and has come all the way here. On hearing this, Pilate asked if the man was a Galilean. When he learned that Jesus was under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased because for a long time he had been waiting to see him. From what he had heard about him, he hoped to see him perform a sign or, or some sort. He applied him with many questions, but Jesus gave him no answer. The chief priests and the teachers of the law were standing there, vehemently accusing him. Then Herod and his soldiers ridiculed and mocked him. Dressing him in an elegant robe, they sent him back to Pilate. That day, Herod and Pilate became friends. Before this, they had been enemies. Pilate called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people and said to them, you brought me this man as one who was inciting the people to rebellion. I have examined him in your presence and have found no basis for charges against him. Neither is Herod, for he sent him back to us. As you can see, he has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I will punish him and then release him. But the whole crowd shouted, away with this man, release Barabbas to us. Barabbas had been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city and for murder. Wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them again. But they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. For the third time he spoke to them, why, what crime has this man committed? I found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I will have him punished and then released. But with loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified, and their shouts prevailed. So Pilate decided to grant their demand. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder the one they'd asked for, and surrendered Jesus to their will. Uh, maybe the part that stands out the most to me is the, the crowd shouting for Barabbas. And in Aramaic, you take the word Barabbas, Bar, and, and, and Abbas, and you get Bar, which is son, and Abba, father. 
they're shouting for the son of the father. Give us son of the father, but they picked the wrong one. They picked the wrong one. And this is this to me in, in the garden and in front of the Pharisees and uh, the betrayal of Peter and, and right here with the crowd and Pilate, it's a story of Good Friday. It's our story. The only reason why Good Friday can be called good is while we pick other things and other idols and other gods, Jesus is faithful. That's why it's good. It's a powerful story. I love just the, the image of the crowd too because how fickle things change with the wrong direction. These are the same people that cheered for Jesus on Sunday. Yeah. You know, laid down branches and said Hosanna and by Friday they're asking for his blood. You, know, you have to be careful which crowd you're in. Yeah, no, absolutely. How strong it, it, it becomes so uh, much more impactful when there's not just one saying it right all of a sudden. It's like that strength grows in numbers and, and how different it could have been. So before we go to the next stage in the crucifixion, we are going to sing a song and we're going to worship God. And I want you to, as you worship and as you declare the goodness of God, think about a time that you turned your back on Jesus, just like the crowd did. And you know, one day you were thanking him it probably was that day you needed money, you thought you were sick, oh God save me, oh God save me, and as soon as everything was fine, you were off doing your own thing again. Mm -hmm. um, he's looking for people who are going to be praising him, trusting him, worshiping him, obeying him all the time. Now, you may not be perfect, but you get up every day with the intent, I'm going to honor God today. So let's sing this song and be thinking about that. And one thing you can do to, to strengthen your commitment to Jesus. Now we're going to uh, take it home and we are going to talk about pain and we know that Jesus was whipped 39 times with a whip that had bone and metal chips sticking out this doesn't have that but imagine that ripping the skin and mus muscle off your bone and then nails so I'm going to pass these out and then Vince is going to read about the crucifixion so you can take these Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand. Then they knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. They spit on him and took the staff and struck him in the head again and again. After they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who were going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. 
He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. This morning, as I was reflecting on this passage, I watched a video that detailed the medical aspects of what happened to Jesus through his beating uh, and his crucifixion. It was incredibly powerful. And the main takeaway is that the Romans were experts in torture. They knew exactly what to do to inflict the most amount of pain on the body and keep the victim alive. And while it's easy to read this and, and say, well, I would never do that to a human being or I would never do that to my savior, how often have we inflicted pain on someone, enough pain, not to bring them to the brink of their knees, but just enough to make sure they know they're in pain. And I think about Jesus, how he stood there and took our sin, our shame, our punishment that we deserved, every lash, every blow to the head, every insult hurled at him. It's depicted in so many movies like The Passion of the Christ and other Jesus films, but we'll never fully understand what it meant. And none of those movies, even as as brutal of a depiction of the beating, can capture what it was like to take our sin. And honestly, even as violent as the beatings were, they're still not the greatest depiction of what our sin did. I'm so grateful for his humanity, for his deity, and that we see both on display. Yeah, Vince, I think about just what you shared, um, how they were masters in torture. And, you know, I think we've all watched those, some of those movies. And for me, and I don't know what your natural inclination is, but I, cr I look away, I cringe. It's, it's so hard to face that, um, to face seeing that happen to him. And yet, you know, we've all, our sin has it put him there. The things that we do that hurt him, it's, we watch it over and over. And as a mama, you know, I, it's like, as moms, it's just like I come from that place and that's the part that hurts. Because I can't imagine, as his mother, you know, watching my son go through that. And, and I would ask the Lord, you know, I mean, just in those moments where I'm reflecting on, you know, hopefully more than just Easter, right? But man, God, break my heart for what breaks yours. Like, do that in me. Do that in me. We're gonna take communion um, right after Margaret's reading and reflection, we'll have a prayer. And so if you have elements in your house, get them ready so we can take communion together. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came all over the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard them, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge, and he filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. And the rest said, 
sarcastically. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus cried out again in a loud voice, he gave his spirit up. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died before were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified. And they exclaimed, surely he was the son of God. Many women were there watching from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered it that be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of a rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb, and he went away. And just like everyone else here, you know, as you read these painful moments, um, again, like Nova was saying, as a mama, I, I, I can't imagine my child thinking that I have abandoned them emotionally, physically, mentally. I just, I can't imagine that thought. And also I'm wondering, did Jesus think that God was really forsaking him? Like what was going through his mind? Was he, was he thinking, did I believe this in vain? Is it, you know, what was he thinking? Because he was part human. But it also comforts me because I think of the times that I think of little things like, should I go that way? Should I buy that house? Should I get that dress? Should I go shopping here? You know, the, the, the little things in life that sometimes I might go to God in or Jesus and he's not there to, for an answer and do I abandon my hope in him or do I always remember that he always is there and he will always be there just like he was and had a plan for Jesus he has a plan for all of us and so I'm wondering if any of you guys what, what do you think was going through his head when he said why have you forsaken me like, after all that he's done, you're going to leave me now, God, and let me go through this. It's, you know, I'm taking my last breath, and I'm, I'm scared, and I'm going to be hurt. Beat, I've been beaten, and everything that you've heard tonight. And just wonder how you guys think, um, what was he thinking? I'm not even sure if him even saying that was a matter of him feeling forsaken, but more of his cry of how deep the pain was because I, I've had moments in my life where I've experienced some deep pain. And in those seasons, I have literally felt to myself, God, are you still here? And it's not because the presence of pain was the absence of God. It just felt like, man, because there's pain, God, are you not here? And so I think in that moment, maybe it was just him just acknowledging like how deep that pain was by saying that. Because literally as you were breaking that down, I thought about a moment in my life where I was like, God, like, where are you? I knew he was there but the pain was so deep that it caused me to recognize that and say that about him and recognize, hey, this is an expression of the pain going on in my heart and mind. 
Yeah, it might have been a, a, a picture also of, of a sort of hell on earth. As we know, Scripture describes hell as the absence of the presence of God, and he was carrying the sin of the entire world. So at that moment, he had to be in complete isolation of God. So he was here on earth, but he was literally giving us a picture of what hell is like. That's terrifying. And then, you know, didn't he, he didn't accept the sponge, which that would have given him relief from the pain. And so he, he, he didn't, he didn't take that, that way out, the, the shortcut, which sometimes we do. One thing that I love too, at the end of the passage is um, the account of Joseph and uh, Pastor Traps and I were talking about this on the way up, but Joseph of Arimathea is really the first person outside of the disciples that's listed as a disciple of Jesus. And he goes and he asks Pilate publicly for the body. And many people would have been afraid because they just killed your leader. And he's readily identifying and says, no, I know that guy, I follow him. And again, it's a beautiful picture because he put the body of Jesus in his own tomb. Jesus in our place again. Jesus taking our spot. Joseph should have been in that tomb. And he said, my savior has taken this space. And we know that that tomb is, is empty today. So just what a beautiful image of just like following Jesus and allowing him to take our place. Think about, about Jesus dying and becoming sin. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He actually became mm -hmm. our sin. He, he who had no sin became sin. Yeah. And he did that because of our sin. He said, I don't have any sin, so I'm gonna take all of your sin. And the reason he did that is so we can be forgiven. Yes. He went in the grave so we don't have to stay there. Mm -hmm. He came out of the grave to give us hope that we would right. come out of the grave. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's what salvation is all about. It's about a relationship with Christ that never ends. Mm -hmm. Even It even goes beyond the grave. And that's whenever I do funerals, all of us do funerals. Uh, when people die, with faith in Christ, it's a good thing. I watched, we watched both our parents take their last breath, just like Jesus took his last breath on the cross. And we told our parents when they were taking their last breath to go, because we knew where they were going was better than where they were. And you read about an incredible story, you know, of the eight stages of the cross, what Jesus went through in a very short period of time. It was the most important time of his life as it pertains to us. But don't let it be a story to you. Let it be a transforming, life-transforming event for you. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. And I want to ask you to close your eyes. And I want you to listen very carefully. If you believe Jesus was Lord, that he died for you, and that he rose from the dead, and remember, the tomb is empty. And you would like to surrender your life to him. Just pray this prayer with me in the privacy of your heart. The prayer is not magic. You are simply speaking to God. <clears throat> asking him to forgive you and to cleanse you and, to, and you are declaring that you are surrendering your life to him so in the privacy of your heart pray dear God I believe you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for me to become my sin I believe he was buried I believe he rose I believe he's alive and that he loves me. Please forgive me of my sin. I surrender my life to you, Jesus. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. I want to honor you with my life, my words, 
my attitudes. Take out my heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, you just established relationship with God. You didn't join a religion or an organization, but a family. Um, I would like to invite you to text the word SAVE to 52525. It's right there on the screen. We want to help you in your relationship so God can transform your life. But now that you did that, we want to take communion. And before we do that, I want to read from the passage we started, the Last Supper, where all this started. And here's what Jesus said. So while they were eating, Jesus took the bread and we had given thanks. He broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat, this is my body. If you could take out any form of bread that you have. And what Jesus said was, take, eat, this is my body. He broke it. What Jesus gave his disciples and what he gives us today is brokenness. I want you to eat brokenness. If you remember when I said in the very beginning that Jesus knew he was going to be betrayed, knew he was going to be denied three times, knew he was going to be rejected, knew he was going to be beaten, crucified, tortured to death, but he was still humble, he was still loving, he still served and washed the feet of his disciples because he was completely broken and emptied of himself. So he gives us to us today brokenness. Lord, we take this bread, this bread that you broke and gave it to all your disciples, and we consume brokenness. We need to be broken before you. In Jesus' name, amen. Then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and said, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. All throughout the Bible, bloodshed was payment for sin. And in the Old Testament, they had to sacrifice animals over and over again. That was the Old Covenant. Mm -hmm. The new covenant, Jesus says, I just have to do it one time. God says, I don't want to have contract with you. I want to have covenant with you. So he died and, and, and shed his blood and says, I'm here for you, period. Once and for all, you are the only God we need to worship, trust, and follow. We don't have to seek for another God. We don't have to hold out to have you prove yourself more trustworthy or reliable than money or success or power. So we make covenant with you we promise that you are the only one we will worship and trust and follow in jesus name amen listen i hope that this was a blessing to you i hope that it was as we um, switched it up for you that it was something fresh and it challenged your thought i pray that as we end the service that you spend some time by yourself in your house or with your family quiet and think about one thing that you heard tonight that challenged your faith um, and your covenant with God and that you will make a commitment even between now and Easter because we'll be back on Easter uh, with another special service. We got another twist for you on Easter. We're going to continue this, this journey um, and we got a great service. I'm not going to, I'm not, I'm just going to tell you it's going to be different like today. 
but I want you to join us on Easter, but I want you to be thinking about what God spoke to you today, uh, that you can reflect the glory of God. Thank you. God bless you. And let's worship God together.